Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Kenneth. And tonight we're looking at the Star Hunter Redux episode, Siren's Song. A luxury sailing ship passes too closely to the Ganymede Ultra Prison and is overtaken by desperate escaping criminals escaping from the facility. Montana and the gang are sent to gather up escaping prisoners for the bounty. But when they overtake the hijacked ship, Patrakis, leader of the criminals, kills his compatriots rather than let Montana have the bounty because, you know, he's evil and he apparently likes to inflict pain. Patrakis was able to inflict this pain because Montana was basically an idiot. And when Lucretia calls him out for it, acknowledging that she's right, he quits. And Percy does too. That is, right after they deliver their one remaining prisoner. En route, they are commandeered, completely legally, by a military type, Major Bartlett, escorting a dangerous female prisoner somewhere top secret. Percy of course, rebels in every way she can. An incredibly convenient and well-timed space anomaly damages the trans-utopian and allows the female prisoner to escape. She releases Patrakis, perhaps on purpose, perhaps not. She does weird things and exhibits weird powers, slowly eliminating the soldiers as she goes. She also mucks up the navigation of the trans-utopian, locking it on a course for the Uranian moon Miranda. Percy, once again acting stupid beyond her years, decides not to fix the navigation systems and goes walkies, where she manages to bumble from one escaped prisoner to another. First, she encounters the female, who pronounces Percy good. As a reminder, this is the prisoner who released the dangerous lunatic Patrakis, has sabotaged the ship, and has slaughtered the soldier. Percy then tucks her into bed and plays music videos for her. Then Percy bumbles into Patrakis, who takes her prisoner as a bargaining chip. Bartlett reveals that there is a secret base, Phoenix, in orbit around Miranda. It was completely quarantined many years ago because of the Omega-47 virus, which killed everyone. Recently, his prisoner, who goes by the name Iyer, left that base on a shuttle, desperate to arrive at Earth. They were escorting her back to the quarantine. It seems that's where she wants to go, too, as when they arrive, she heads back into the quarantine station. Patrakis, enamored of his savior, also wants to follow her, taking Percy with him. Bartlett doesn't care about Patrakis, and he goes after Iyer. He should have cared because Patrakis shoots him in the back just before he can apprehend or kill her. Meanwhile, Miranda, the entire moon decides to explode. Iyer is apparently a manifestation of an alien virus, Omega-47 perhaps, that was unlocked when tapping the water ice of Miranda. It spread to humans and became sentient, thriving on the human sensation of pain. But now it's had enough pain and it dissolves itself, taking Patrakis with it just moments before Miranda explodes. The trans-utopian escapes just in the nick of time, and it's business as usual, the subplot of Dante and Percy quitting, all forgotten. The end. Now, I don't remember if it was during the last episode, or if it was in our post-episode discussion, that you said to me that you were looking forward to see if I could make sense out of what happened in this episode. And the answer is no. That's two of us. That's, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we can take stabs at pieces of it, but it's, it's obtuse. Uh, I, I'm, I, I have two, two basic explanations and neither of them are in world. Um, One of them is that 
maybe this made more sense and they edited the sense out of it in a sort of hacked it up, kept certain scenes, left out the ones that explained what was going on. And and the other is that they were just incredibly stoned on drugs when they were writing it. Um, but uh, but beyond that, I cannot, I can't make head nor tail of it. I, I really can't. Um, if, well, I'm take up that point about editing first. I can't speak to the second point, obviously. Um, I have seen both versions of this episode, the original and the remastered. Mm-hmm. The scenes all happen in the same order each time. Okay. And we don't get any extra interesting exposition or anything that, that would give us something. Nothing to your point. The major yeah. difference between them is that we do not, in the Redux version, we do not have Rudolfo's opening transmission in which he speaks about monsters and how they come in various shapes and sizes and they're everywhere and they're always waiting. That is a bit ham-handed, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay. So let's, let's take the stuff I can sort of make sense out of first. So Montana goes in to the sailing ship. He's in a completely and utterly indefensible position. He's in a doorway, crowded. He cannot get into the room. There are apparently six armed killers in the room. And he shouts, hey, drop your weapons. And five of them all drop their weapons. I, I can't quite figure out why Dante was so imposing that they were like, whoa, we can't stand it now. And they put their weapons down. Petrakis. And then he stupidly says, well, well, the bounty on six bad guys is going to be enough to pay off my debts, which appears to be the trigger for Petrakis killing the others. Yes. Okay. So I'm guessing that that is that Petrakis wants to inflict pain on the man who's going to bring him in. It's, but, it's, it's an act of defiance. Petrakis seems to like pain. Yes. Yes. He, he's also nuts. And so. Obviously. A lot of, of his actions can be written down to, well, it's not supposed to make sense, is it? Um, which I think is, maybe that's true. Maybe in real life, maybe that's true. But I think in a story, it helps if you can put a narrative to the insanity. But we don't, we don't really get that here. But anyway, Dante screws that up. And honestly... It's not that big of a screw up. I mean, yeah, maybe maybe it's counting your chickens before they're hatched. But apart from that, it's it really you wouldn't expect that to trigger the events that happen afterwards because Petrakis is nuts. So you can't expect Dante to be thinking, here's what Nutso will do. True. So and um, and to get back to a point, a previous point you made, um, those other five. I saw those other five, and um, they um, all looked more intimidating than Dante. Yeah. Yeah. And they just slaughtered an entire ship full of people. So it's yeah. not like that they had any compunction about, about killing him and they can't have any illusions as to what's going to happen to him if they're captured. Right. I mean, they were, they were convicted criminals already and now they've got mass murder added on to whatever it was that they had in the first place. So it, that made no sense, but okay. Now they go back to the ship and Lucretia rates him down for it like well you know you you made a mistake it's like first off it really wasn't then she goes on about the whole you know he was messing up half of his assignments before i was brought on board now there's two two ways we can go with that the first is dante takes that he admits to percy later that yeah it's true and and then he quits i'm done with this i quit and the other way you can take it is we are now four episodes in yes we are and lucretia's been on all four of those assignments and as far as i can tell their success rate is now down to zero have yes. they successfully done anything yet they didn't bring in eccleston they didn't bring in the Etienne. um there was another episode in there oh yeah they did get the guy to prison but frankly they screwed that up so badly along the way that you know other people died and 
and bad things happened. <clears throat> so I guess maybe, maybe they got 25%. We'll call it 25%, but really it was, it was a bad. So I, I don't, I'm not, don't know what they're going there with that, but I just want to point that out. She's not helping that much. Anyway, to, Don, to Dante's resignation. It makes no sense in the way the show is presented. But as we discussed last time, if you watch with the subtitles on and you see the opening narration every time, Dante says, I'm a bounty hunter. It's just a job I do. Which makes this makes everything about the character different. If you think he's a bounty hunter, then he's terrible at it. If you think he's a guy who is not a bounty hunter, who just does that because, because, I don't want to do it, but that's just what I do, then his attitude isn't quite as off because I don't care. I don't care about this job. I don't care about keeping the job. I don't care about the whether it's a success or a failure. It, it, it kind of, it's a little bit more of a fit. And so I question them removing the narration. I was, about, I was about to say that because um, it has occurred to me that that narration should be there for the first season as it was originally. I mean, there are some people who hate narration. I think it has its place. There, there are times when a few words can tell you everything you need to know and make the show more accessible. And I think this is one of those instances. You know, and another one is the opening theme music, which is basically narration of Gilligan's Island. But, yeah, you know, every week you know exactly what the situation is. Boom, you're on the island, they're stranded, we're off. Um, but then, what is it at the end of this episode that causes Dante to go, well, to forget that he quit altogether, basically? I mean, was there a revelation that I missed along the way in the story? Uh, was it literally just selling the shuttle? Uh, maybe that was it. That's a, that, that, that's a, if if there was anything that had to be it. So that you know, I I think that's that's part of the thing for me is that I just I'm I'm not getting what's going on here in in these situations. I don't get the motivation and I don't get the the resolution. But um, that that part was the part that mostly made sense. Then there's the whole. Then there's the whole story with, with, with Ire, Irie or Irie or Ire, um, I R E, I R E. Yeah, I, I got the spelling right, but I think she only said it once That's in the right. episode, and I, I kind of heard. I think my name was <laughs> like, oh, uh, I'm gonna look that one up later. <clears throat> so while I was watching this episode, I kind of got the same feeling I did last week with the episode on Mars and, and actually kind of harkened back to the one before that. The first one was not the first one, not as much a bit, but, but not as much for some reason, maybe because they were actually involved in, in what was supposed to be happening. But it it's kind of like a, our characters aren't the agency in this story. They are the steel balls in a giant pinball machine and they are just bouncing wherever, whatever random event throws them we have you know okay prisoner fine you're assigned to catch the guy that's the part where they are on the on the case then they're commandeered by the military out of the middle of nowhere utterly unrelated to the Petrakis event then there is a strange space anomaly that blasts the ship now we've got a disaster on our hands and escaped prisoners and the escaped prisoner is running around doing things nobody understands, killing people, pronouncing them good, sleeping in their bunks and listening to Billy. <laughs> yes. Billy Tsunami, I think it is. That's correct. Uh, and uh, I only got that from the end credits. And um, it, it just, you know, they're, they're reacting. They're not taking hold of the situation. Dante is always reacting. He's reacting to the threat of losing Percy. And he's reacting to the the crisis emergency. He's reacting to the nasty Major Bartlett. He, he's never problem solving. And and Lucretia, who is my favorite character on the show so far, isn't really 
doing much but occasionally being a bit of the voice of reason and i i see that as a failing i hope that they rectify as time goes on but it is kind of it, it's kind of rough to watch when i can't root for them to do anything it's it's really just about them are they going to survive it i take your point um this is probably no there 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 is no probably about it um of the episodes in the first season this is the one i would jettison if i had to get rid of one and make it a 21 episode season <laughs> and is that because of the fact that it makes no sense or the fact exactly. that it just kind of narr- yeah it, it makes no sense i remember um i discovered this series um back in oh it must have been 2004 when i um back in the dark days before the in before the whole series was available on DVD and only only 15 the first 15 episodes were available in a two disc set and i sat down and i watched these episodes and i okay I, I watched all the others and i understood them at least but this one i watched and i thought what was that so your introduction to the series was via DVD yes so you watch them in order. You watch the first fifteen. Um, what I'm just curious. What what enticed you to buy a DVD of a series you'd never seen? Um, I'm a science fiction nut, and people were almost giving them away. Okay, okay, that's that's a valid reason. I'm just curious as to whether or not it was like I have always been a lifelong fan of um, <laughs> Tony Villacana, whose name I can't think of right at the moment. <laughs> um, Dante, the actor. Michael Perre. Yes. There we go. And plus, I thought that Percy looked cute. Well, okay. Percy is cute. And Percy is much better in a still photograph than she is walking, talking, and causing problems on on the show. But, okay. Um, So, I'll ask. I'll ask. But we've both admitted we don't know what happened in this episode, apart from what we saw with our own eyes. Was the girl a was the girl a reanimation of the dead girl that we saw in the playback, or was the girl a a construct, a, a seemingly potentially non corporeal construct of the virus? Your second choice. Okay, when Major Bartlett, for no apparent reason, was being attacked by a swarm of little static, and it was saying like, "Come play with us, come play with us." <laughs> Was that ire broken yes. down? Okay, so when she's corporeal, she doesn't run around saying things like, come play with us. But when she breaks up into bits as a swirly light, she seems to have a completely different personality. Okay, again, doesn't have to make sense because we know it doesn't. I just, I, I literally could not tell if that was her or that was something that she was manifesting or, I, I, I did she... Was she intentionally killing the guards that she didn't need to kill? So, for example, she she definitely, I think, I think definitely, kills the first guard that she somersaults at to escape. I, I believe that. And then she goes after the second guard and she knocks him down and out. But, and I, I couldn't tell if he was dead. But I thought, to him, I assumed he was dead. But to him, she leans down and puts her hand on his head and says, like, sorry? That's what she Something said. Something like that? Yes, that was what she said. I couldn't tell if that was a, I'm sorry I killed you. Or when she set, leaned down, it was, sorry, I'm going to finish the job now kind of thing with her uber finger magic powers. So I wasn't sure whether that was a genuine remorse or I'm going to do it anyway, but <clears throat> right. She goes to Petrakis. She touches him, I believe. She does. She touched him on that one. Yeah. And most of the people I know she touched. She says bad. I think that's what she said. Yeah, in she in retrospect, I thought she's, I first thought she said something else like bat or something, but and I go, oh, she must've said bad. And then his lock explodes and she falls against the floor and disappears. That is correct. Yep. <clears> that is an accurate telling of what happened, but we have no idea 
why it happened because it, it it didn't look like she was doing anything to intentionally open the lock. And I think that's a failure of direction. Like if she had reached down and I don't know, pointed her finger at the lock and a little zap had come from her finger and the lock had exploded and then she'd fallen back, then I would have gone, oh, she did that. But it almost felt like when she was reaching in to touch him, that there was some sort of, I don't know, antithetical negative electric splack. Like it wasn't like he was part of it. Does that make sense? Like, like. It makes they were, they were known uh, to each other. It makes uh, as much sense as anything can, I suppose. And just I think to, these things just threw me being, off. Yes, I mean, just keep in mind the topic, and <laughs> yeah, just keep on. It doesn't make any sense. She pronounces she the guard in the ventilation shaft. She touches, and he starts firing his gun. Is she making him kill the other guard? Or is that an accidental, oops, I've shot down the thing because I've gone off because I'm terrified or can't control uh, myself? I, or... interp- I interpreted that as that particular commando just did that, that it wasn't that she made him do it. Okay. Uh, again, I'm watching that going, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. There was the other guard that she tried to, talked to and and there was sort of a a little dialogue going on at one point where she put her hand on him and i don't remember what it was about but it was i think was it a i'm just no bartlett was i'm just following orders the other guy was there was one other children the so there was one other soldier who said he was just following bartlett's orders okay Maybe was that the one where Dante was in the same room? So the guard, yes, that was the it. guard was behind Dante. She put her hand on him. They had a little bit of dialogue that didn't make any sense. Oh yeah, yeah. And then Dante and now, around. now I remember. And she said, "Remember, it was like picking up a spoon with children who had died um, because yeah. of the virus." And she said, "Remember their faces." Now was she implanting that memory in him? Because I don't think he saw all the. No, he wasn't there, so she had to be. Yes, implanting the memory. She's implanting a memory. So I, I, or, 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 or I, that's the best guess. Again, I have yeah, yeah, we're, no we're, idea. We're totally speculating when that's fine because they didn't choose to provide us with answers. And, or if they did choose, they failed to convey them. Um, so this Dante, episode, just, this, uh, excuse me, uh, this episode is a, uh, an example of a high concept Gone <laughs> so horribly, my ar- drug, uh... gone, gone, gone horribly awry. <laughs> uh, and I think about some of the, um, uh, was it Joe Manoski, uh, was the one of the writer on one of the writers on the on some of the various Star Trek series. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, if you look up a list of the episodes he wrote, uh, he liked high. He liked the mask or yes, uh, faces I mean, or whichever the one with it. It was a mask, Mayan which temple. was absolutely yeah. horrendous. He he wrote that one. Yep. I, I agree. <laughs> it's like, what is this? Give me a linear story that makes sense. <laughs> well, I'm all for the linear story thing, but uh, I think Simon might agree sometimes. Disagree, I should say, from time to time. That's been a long-standing, uh, a long-standing story with us. But uh, yeah, I, I it's, this, this is this is high concept, all right. Um, <laughs> but well, uh, anyway. Um, Petrakis, I think, is following her because he let her she out. She is pain. She let him out. So she let him out. So I guess he's grateful. I I kind of wonder if she's. There's this whole thing about it's all pain. It's all about pain. And then, as the episode wears on, then she's like, and I realize pain's not enough. I want more than pain. Like, okay, where did you get pain in the first place? Is it is it just the pain of the people that, that the Omega-47 virus, that creature itself, if we call it a creature, inflicted? I don't know. It could know. be, but speaking of pain, I did write this quote down. This is from the scene after um, in which Iyer touches Dante mm-hmm. and chooses not to infect him. Um as she did with the um, commandos. 
so the others were the others were infected with the virus because mm. I wasn't sure about that either. Um, uh, but uh, the well, the the infect part comes. I wrote this down. It's like, and I, I know you'll appreciate the reference on this because I listened. You very, I've listened very carefully, more than once to every one of the Space nineteen ninety nine podcast. Um, <laughs> so, um, I wrote this. Is this is directly off my weblog? This is Caravaggio doing his best Victor Bergman impersonation. He he did at the yes. end. He did give it that sort of amazing, <clears throat> amazing, a deadly virus that was sorry. Guilt really is the engine of the universe, and it seems Great. not. And it seems not to have chosen to to infect any of you. Um, but anyhow, I are, um, told Dante I have enough pain to fuel the universe, right before disappearing again. Yeah, I think the next scene is when she appeared by the window and she's looking out. At Phoenix Research Station. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And what? And by the way, what? That, that's a good point to bring up. Wasn't she supposed to be going to Earth? Yeah, in the quote-unquote flashbacks of something we never saw, she was desperate, desperate, desperate to get to Earth. And I, I, whatever changed her mind changed her mind before before she scanned Dante. I think maybe I'm getting the sequence of events wrong here. But so what we know is that. The Phoenix station was quarantined for years, and then suddenly a shuttle leaves it, and she's on board of it. The, the, the shuttle was intercepted, of course, because they're worried about the Omega-47 virus uh, causing mass destruction of life on Earth. And she wants nothing but to get to Earth. This is something I don't understand in-universe, in because I know because, because of episode one, I know what Earth is like. Mm-hmm. It's not That's exact, not killing Earth. Yeah, it's That's not, not going to kill mankind. It's not a destination for um, that that many people want to go to. It's, it's less Acapulco and more Newark, New Jersey. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was just watching. Make, let's make it Detroit. It's, it's more Detroit. 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 Yeah, I was just watching um, the um, sixth episode of season two in which earth comes up and rudolfo calls it a sewer what we've seen is not pretty exactly yeah what we've seen is not pretty um but then so she wants to get to earth they're taking her back to phoenix at least we think that's what they were doing um the space anomaly causes problems um the soldiers were going to take her to um, a facility on triton Oh, they were taking her somewhere else. Okay. To Triton, which is an orbit of Neptune. Okay. Um, she gets to the control center. Now, I guess this is going to depend on whether she does this before or after she touches Dante. And I I can't remember. Perhaps you I mean, can. She yeah. locks it on a course to, um, um, to Phoenix. Phoenix, which would seem to mean that she's had a change of mind. And I wonder if by touching Dante... If if that had happened before she changed the course, then we could we could infer that Dante's whatever it is he's got in his head, whether it's his his innate goodness or whether it's the pain of the loss of his wife and his child or or whatever it is that she resonated with made her no longer wish to inflict more pain. Um, could 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 we take that as a possible it's possible motivation? it's possible uh i can tell you that the sequence of events is that she touched um, dante's head mm-hmm. and then subsequently she went to the bridge and she adjusted the, the navigation the, the, the tulips course so then that is that is when she says i have enough pain to fuel the universe maybe she got enough out of dante's head to decide enough's enough he would have it so that could be what changed her mind on destroying destroying the world. It would have been nice if that had been clearer because that kind of makes that kind of makes it a little more tragic and it makes it a little bit more sympathetic. Yeah. Right? She, the 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 thing is is wants to inflict pain, but it can understand that inflicting pain it's not a good thing. I don't want to do this anymore. Whereas Patrakis never passes that point. All he wants to do is inflict pain. 
so I think I would that could have been a little clearer, assuming that we're even on the right track. And then they she goes back and she dissolves herself. Is that the end? I'm not sure what she was doing there. And I have not counted how many times I've watched this episode, but I even to the time just to within the last two hours, I uh, ordered. I still didn't know what she was doing. Okay. And then Miranda, the entire moon blows up. And I, I know that, you know, if Earth's moon blew up or indeed were blasted into deep outer space, leaving the Earth behind, we'd probably all be dead. Yes. And I think it would, it would, if it wouldn't instantly destroy the planet, it would certainly change the, it would certainly change the mass of the system that is in a balanced orbit around the sun. Yes. It would mess up our tides. The moon keeps a, the, the, the cent, not centrifugal force. Yeah, we'll call it centrifugal well, force, but the, the, the force of a gyroscopic force is what we're going about. It would shift the earth stable. It would shift the orbit and the axis. It would shorten the length of the day. It would mess up the tides. Um, it would, um, it would be bad. We'd, we'd all be screwed. Yeah. But the moon is a third the size of the earth. I didn't look up what the size ratio of Miranda to Uranus is, but much less. I, yeah, that was my impression. We're also and, talking about a gas giant, right? We're not, yeah, we're not worried about the, the tides or anything like that, but it's still the same thing. If you take a significant amount of mass out of a system, Although, are you taking a significant ma- amount of mass out of the system? You're just blowing it up and moving it into a maybe a new ring. Who knows? But if we have any physicists who are watching or listening, um, what would happen if Miranda blew up? What, what would happen to the uh, the system? Because apparently, people do stuff out there. Have space stations and and prisons and uh, secret facilities, and I'm presuming colonists somewhere and. There were there was the reference to the colonist on Miranda. See, all I those, thought all those years ago. I thought that they were talking about the people on the Phoenix. Or they were the who state were tapping Phoenix. Miranda. Or it could have been. Um, I wasn't clear, was it? No, <laughs> there was something in this episode that wasn't clear. But but wait, <laughs> that's not in character. Um, so <laughs> well, but, but, but well, the virus had spread to the station. Okay, in which case then the people on maybe maybe that's the maybe that maybe all the colonists on Miranda were dead or on yeah, on Miranda were dead because of the Omega forty seven virus. And um and now Miranda's dead. Oh okay, wait a second. Wait a second. I got it. I got it. What's that? So the virus let's say there were people on Miranda. They were digging the ice, they got the virus, it killed them all. They set up the Phoenix station to study it. It got on the station. It killed everyone there. So now basically Miranda is a dead moon that's nothing but a big virus. And the station is a big virus. The virus decides for whatever reason that it wants to kill everyone on Earth. Uh, but then after it meets Dante, it realizes that that's a pointless venture. And and it goes back to the Phoenix where it destroys itself, which would include the entirety of the moon of Miranda to prevent it ever killing again. So we it, have a, it, so we have a suicidal virus with a conscience. Yes. And it had to blow up the entirety of the moon to, to prevent that from ever reoccurring. I'm going to run with it. I'm, I'm like running it. with it. Um, <laughs> you should, you should have heard the episode. Uh, maybe another pass, you know, and the funny thing is, I think that, you know, some stories you look at and man from Atlantis, the imp, for example, you put that episode down on a piece of paper and you say, there is no way you can fix this story without burning the celluloid and the script and the actors and everything with it in a, in a huge bonfire. There's just nothing you can do to make that story viable but if you took this story which didn't enjoy i will i'll admit i enjoyed talking about it far more than i enjoyed watching it and you took this story i think two or three passes with somebody looking at it going uh huh oh see i was thinking yeah you see you're not telling the audience what you got in mind here and maybe you're giving them too much credit 
for their, you know, it's two ways. You can, you, maybe you're giving them too much credit for their intelligence, or perhaps you are not doing a good job of communicating. Either way, I think, I think something could have happened. I think you would have maybe changed the agency of our heroes a little bit and perhaps uh, eliminated some of the stuff that we haven't even gotten to about Percy yet. Um, and given a little bit more exposition, hopefully in the form of not just somebody narrating. And I think you could have had a, a, an interesting episode that would have made you at the end, like Caravaggio go, huh, an alien virus with a conscience, you know, and, and go, that was an interesting concept. But instead, you don't get that until Caravaggio says it at the right. end. Right. And then you're like, where did he get that from? Exactly. Um, And here's something else I don't get. Um, Iyer says she was sent to tell the story, not to hurt anybody. Point number one, killing people is hurting them. Yep. Mm -hmm. Point number two, who sent her? Yeah. What what sent her? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a virus virus going out to tell a story? Did did, did I just say those words? (laughs) I'm sure there's a joke about a virus wrote this story. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, like, but I, I, I won't be mean that way. Well, okay, I already know it. Was, but anyway. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're not going to make sense out of that any more than we just did. And that's as close as I think we're going to get. And I'm sticking with it and, and, and sticking to my guns on that one. That's what they were trying to get at. And if one of the writers or or somebody else wants to say, you got that wrong, I will take that. But <laughs> All right. <laughs> right yes. And I thought about the uh, Major Bartlett character, and he could have really cleared up. He could have prevented a whole host of problems for himself and his men if he had just ex- not been an ass. Yes. Yes. His motivation was... <sighs> I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in a little halfway place in my life. I was, I was raised watching MASH. Huh? I'm not a military person. I, 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 I'm, I, I identify with the military being filled with the wrong kind of people. I mean, that, I, I know that that's a cultural bias that I have been raised upon. But I also know that they perform an important duty. At times, an unpleasant and and potentially morally indefensible, but sometimes necessary duty. Uh, but I also do not, you know, I don't fall in the camp of everybody in the military is just a wonderful person. That's and, and I thank you for your service because some of them are real assholes and are, you know, get it for the wrong reason or take from it the wrong lessons. They, like every other group of people, have their good and they're bad, and they are cannot be painted in a broad-stroke stereotype one way or the other. Well, first off, the, whoever wrote Patrakis, uh, yeah, not Patrakis, uh, Bartlett, wrote him in the worst light. That person he, was Nilu Giron. Again. He, he comes on board, and he immediately starts bossing them around when he didn't need to do that. You come on board and you say, hi, thank you for rescuing us. Look, I've got, a, I've got a deadly prisoner on board. I have to get her to this base. Can you take me there? Well, no, we can't. Okay, look, don't make me, don't make me inflict Article 187, but I have the authority to do so. And can we work something out here? I mean, you'll get paid for the transit and all that stuff. But he doesn't do that. He's just like, Article 187, I'm taking your ship. Let's go. And he won't give any explanations and he won't wrong, wrong approach, you know, wrong approach with anybody but an underling in the military. But you can also see Dante bristles because he doesn't want his ship taken over. But at the same time, he knows that that's what he has to do. Lucretia, the same way. They know that the law is on Bartlett's side. Right. And they're a prison ship, basically. Of all the ships he could have commandeered, it's probably the best one they could have gotten. It has the facilities. Yeah, and that seems to be just blind luck. Percy's reaction, though, is totally a, I hate the military, I hate this guy, I can't stand this, 
I'm going to do absolutely everything I can to be a jerk and a problem back and, and a lippy three-year-old and asking him if we can count to four. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't get to be a major in the regular serve. Maybe in draft time, you can get to be that, but you'll give him this. You don't get to be major. If you can't count to four, you have right. to at least be able to count to five. That's the rule. <laughs> but it, it, yeah, it, she just, she just instantly goes the wrong way. And she, she also, frankly, shows pointless antagonism towards Lucretia earlier in the episode with that whole, you know, Lucretia's like, well, you know, he's messing up 50. Well, whoop do you and, and I'm thinking, was it not just two episodes ago that Lucretia was the only one on this ship that was helping you out? She's the only person that helps you practice with your military or helps you to go do things that you want to do. When Dante is the one who is stopping you from doing what you want to do. Was episode two, right? Two, yes, trust. Trust. Shh. Lucretia is the only person who seems sympathetic to Percy. You would think she would actually kind of like her, but she doesn't seem to at all. And I don't see, you know, from what we've seen so far in the story, Lucretia has not done anything that should earn that ire huh ire and uh <laughs> funny so yeah again it, the motivation of character doesn't it seems to just follow the wind as to whatever they need percy to be another bumper on the the pinball machine of of that that the transutopian pinball machine from bally um care um, is right now or this, at this early point in the season um, Percy's character development is following the convenience of plot. Yeah, she is. She is as flexible as, and it's never good. It hasn't been good. so. I mean, to be honest, to be absolutely blunt, right? We're we're in this for the hall, right? We're gonna we're yes. gonna. I'm gonna get through this show. But if I were sitting down and watching these first four episodes, going, oh, do I want to watch this show? I'd be done. I, I, I would be done. Percy irritates me beyond, and I can, I can live with plot holes. I can live with all manner of problems with a show if it delights me in some way. But right now it, it doesn't. It's just like, it's not that I hate it. It's that I, I do actively dislike Percy and, but you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't matter how cute she is because he can just change channels and there will be another cute actress on on another show if that's what you're after cute's easy to find on tv but so i have to sit here and i have to try to figure out what the heck she's doing so why is it that she just the ship is damaged the navigation systems are out they're locked on a, a dangerous course uh they've got control of the bridge here fix this okay Turn around, I'm going to go walk off and I'm just going to go ambling around the ship for, for wise. I, I, I could make no sense of it whatsoever with uh, many other things in the story. There, but, is, but... Uh, there isn't a way to make sense of it. The um, closest I can come to that is Percy, also, despite being a good mechanic and engineer when she's doing her job, and despite being highly intelligent, is immature. I, I, I have trouble even reconciling that to immaturity because I, I don't see what else what she wanted to do. You know, if I felt like she had, you know, immaturity is not making the right choice between two options. But this is I can stay here and I can work on this. Or I can go walk around on a ship filled with dangerous prisoners who are escaping and killing people. Like, um, that's that's beyond immaturity. Now, if she decided, hey, I'm going to go down to the cafeteria and get myself a milkshake before I work on this, I would go, okay, that's just, imma that's immaturity. And then if she had stumbled across the prisoners and go, oh, I did think about that. Um be different but we're we're not presented with any kind of motivation for that we're just 
like Percy needs to not be on the bridge. Heck, they could have come to the bridge and kidnapped her. Yeah. <laughs> right? They, they mean, didn't even need to get her to leave her station voluntarily. Right. Someone could have taken her. Exactly. Most of the ship is abandoned. Yeah. So, <clears throat> anyway, I mean, it did lead to my favorite scene. Um, it was far too short, but that's where Patrakis backhands her and asks her if she has any more smart-ass comments to make. <laughs> and even here, I don't understand Percy's um, motivations because based on absolutely everything I've seen so far, I expected her to have five or six more right. smart-ass comments yeah. to get a backhand to. Yeah. Was that, when, that, was that um, when he said he was going to think about it and she said, good luck with that? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I believe that was the comment that she, that he made that or that she made that that got the got the smack, uh, which is you know very much on par with if you can count to four, <laughs> kind of thing. <clears throat> so, um, now she encounters Ire, and she takes her to her quarters and puts her to bed and plays music videos for her. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I don't think I. You know, we did get this scene earlier where she made some grumbly comment about that those big old bully soldiers picking on that little girl. So I mean, she did pull a little sympathy in the wrong way for the murderous creature. Yeah. Um. So I can I can almost kind of almost kind of get that and even accept it. If there had been a little more dialogue where she had tried that theory out on Ire, like, and and gotten some gotten some sort of a feedback from Ire that she didn't really want to be killing people and that or something, but we don't. She just kind of has a sort of meaningless conversation with her and then puts her to bed, plays some music for her, and then she leaves, and it's unclear. If she's going to get Uncle Dante to say, hey, I've got the dangerous prisoner in my cabin, or if she's going to the kitchen to get a milkshake, or 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 what her next course of action was going to be. Because I could picture her going back, maybe even working on the navigation system, and never mentioning that Ira is in her room. I can too. And I don't know what our, our motivation for that is either. <laughs> Because, if, you know, even if the military said, well, I guess she's gone and they all packed up in their shuttle and left, she's going to have to tell somebody someday. Yeah. And I will have to tell out. Uncle Dante. I are still on the ship. Somebody will find out fairly soon. So, uh, yeah, there is there is that. Yeah, I, I don't um, I don't have anything else on it. This is the first time we um, will. This, this episode is the, is the first time that we learn of Billy Sunak. I'll rephrase that. This is the episode in which we learn about Billy Tsunami and how much Percy likes her. And off and on throughout the first season, she will um, play a Billy Tsunami video. Now I'm going to, I'm going to ask, are we playing the, I'll just say my wife is from Taiwan and in Taiwan, they use the same word for he and she. So oddly enough, I hear it day in and day out. Where my wife gets it wrong, she'll she'll refer to me as she all the time, or she'll it just it it just doesn't it hasn't internalized. You said she with regards to Billy Tsunami. Oh, I, is, spe- it, I, was, what, I was speaking uh, she with regard to Percy. It's the first. Oh, time, okay. This is the first. I couldn't time. tell. Okay, sorry, I wasn't clear there. Uh, this is the first time that um that in the series that Percy has played a Billy Tsunami video. And I saw that the actor who was playing Billy Tsunami had a name. Yes, the name is uh, K-A-I. However, was it K? Kai? I Kai. Kai. I'd say it's probably Kai. Um, King. Kai King. See, that's an Asian-sounding, half-Asian-sounding name that I do that and I go, I don't know that person. Is that somebody famous in Canada that they got to come in and guest uh, spot? Or these, um, um, and it can't be all that famous in that uh, his only credits on IMDb are for Star Hunter. And here is another. Here's an interesting point. Um, 
Do you, did you recognize the actress who played Iyer? I did not. Nazneen Contractor. This uh, was her first television role, that, according to IMDb. Okay. I don't know that name. Uh, I, looked her up on, I looked her up on IMDb. She was apparently in 24, which I never watched. Yeah. I, I did recognize her from the beginning of Star Trek Into Darkness where she played the mother of the girl at the beginning of the movie. Star Trek into... Oh, oh, okay, okay. The, the, the who was married to... Um, uh, R- Rose Tyler's yeah. boyfriend. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, oddly enough, I can't think of at the top of my head. Um, <laughs> that's actually funny. According to my calculation, Miss Contractor was, was 17 years old when she made this episode. She definitely gave the appearance of being a child. Yes. She she definitely gave the appearance of being younger than Percy. She was. Because yeah. Tanya Allen was 25. Right. She's she's playing under under her age there. Yeah. That but is for the an, physicality is... of it. Iyer was was young younger looking. I guess we should mention the name of the episode. Um, yes, I do play this game where I um, look at an episode and I, I try to figure out the significance, and usually it's no problem. Um, the Divinity Cluster is about the Divinity Cluster. Divinity Cluster, yeah. Trust is who can we, can X trust, trust Y? Yeah. That makes sense. Um, then it was Family Values. Okay, families okay. involved. That made sense. Um, as I understand the mythology of Siren's song, it was to lure sailors to their deaths on the rocks. Yep. Yep. I, I'm wondering if she's lured, is it because she lured Patrakis to his, to his death? Could uh, be. Or all the other people? I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. I did think it was not the, the most succinct title that they could have come up, but then you know, hey, what the heck? <laughs> it wasn't the most succinct of episodes, so... No, I guess the succinct title would be... Um, Head Trip! Sub would be uh, Sometimes Corporeal Virus. I don't know. Guilty um, Virus. Guilty Virus, yes. <laughs> so, oh, I'll be watching Guilty Virus again today. <laughs> Actually, I like that. I, I like that name better. Got anything else? Uh, just in the next episode, number five, uh, The Man Who Sold the World. Man Who Sold the World. Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. All right. Kenneth, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.